You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this talk by Pastor Terry Riley titled Better Than Brimstone from the series PT's Favorite Talk. For more info, visit creekside.org. Today, probably uh, I'm giving... Uh, I don't know if it's, yes, this is, this would be a, not the, a favorite talk, okay? I'm getting to that now. Someone said that all great men have their favorite texts, but this has been called everybody's text, the one that I'm talking from today, because I'm not a great man, but I'll say this, that my, John chapter 3, John chapter 3, verse 16, and Luke chapter 5, by far my favorite texts in the Bible, um, uh, if you don't know, Luke 15 is the parables of Jesus when he tells the parable of the coin, the parable of the sheep, and then the parable of the prodigal son. And you say, well, that sounds really good. How come you're preaching from John 3? Well, because I don't think I've ever preached from John chapter 3. But I've preached from Luke 15 probably six or seven times in the time that I've been here. And I love both of these texts because of this reason. They basically capsulate the gospel, the essence of the gospel, and the heart of God, Christ himself, for humanity. And it it really is the essence of the good news of why we meet and why we do what we do, and ultimately why I do what I do. It was a few months ago that I read an article, and the writer used this term, better than brimstone. And for some reason, I just, it just resonated with me. I loved the sound of it, and I loved what he said about it. Because he noted how Jesus came to reach out to people. Not to judge them, but to reach out to them. And he talked about how the, the, the message of Jesus, and I, and I know this all, and it's nothing really new, but it just at that time, for whatever reason, again, it resonated with me, that Jesus' message was this, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. Repent and enter into the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Those two ter- terms, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, are really interchangeable in the New Testament. They're the same thing. When Jesus uses them, he's talking about the same thing. Now, a lot of people think, oh, bless the Lord, it's by and by, pie in the sky, heaven. But it's not. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here and now. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, the Pharisees were sitting around, kind of attacking him. And and they said, well, tell us, Jesus, about this kingdom. Where is it? You said it's going to be established. Jesus looks at him and he says, look around. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm going to set up a kingdom in the hearts and lives of people, not an earthly kingdom that people can see. That's going to come at the end of the age. So what we are experiencing, if you know Jesus Christ, if you invited him into your life, guess what? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, Luke 17, 20, resides within you. So what does that mean? Well, well everywhere you go, You are taking the kingdom of Jesus. What does a kingdom need? It needs a king. So because we are the kingdom that that is manifest now, present tense in this world, we're taking Jesus with us. Now, what does that mean? It means what Jesus did back then is good for today. This is what it means. With him reigning in our lives in this church, life can change. Life can be different. Life can experience transformation here on earth. It is in, and things that are happening in heaven can happen here on this earth. Things can change. People can change. Heaven can invade earth. Life doesn't have to stay like it is. 
Tell your friend next to you, wherever you are, if it's not good, it doesn't have to stay that way because of Jesus. Tell them it's true. When the kingdom invades. Yeah, well, be careful with your spouse. Um, yeah, Trina, listen, it doesn't have to stay. though. It's, it can get better. But that's what we have to know. Because if we believe that for us, then we can believe it for everybody around us. Because that's what Jesus brings. See, before we evangelize, and I'm not, I don't really like that word because it's such a Christian-y word, but because many of us are at least aware of it, uh, to evangelize means to reach people for Christ. Before we evangelize, we must emmanuelize. Well, there's another Christian. What does that mean? Well, remember in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter Matthew 1, 21 through 23, it says that Jesus came, he was born. They called his name Emmanuel, God with us. So to Emmanuelize means that God is with us. That's why Jesus came. He came to be able to be with us. And see, what we understand is, is when we Emmanuelize, it means to incarnationally live. It means to go and to be with people. It means to live among them as Jesus lived among us. And now because his kingdom and his life reigns within us, we can go and we can take him with us. And this is what I know. Before we evangelize, we have to emmanuelize. And when you emmanuelize, it will oftentimes lead to a conversation. And when it leads to a conversation, then there can be sometimes a discussion and even at times a confrontation for somebody's sin. Now put a comma there because I'm going to come back to that. And then after the confrontation of sin that needs to happen so people understand why they need Jesus, then transformation can take place. Because it really is a process. And sometimes we forget that. I was, we had this, this delightful group of, of uh, people yesterday in 101, and, and I felt really bad because it was supposed to go from 10 to 12, and, and I thought I got an email that said it was going from 10 to 1. And so man, I'm like just going after it taking my time and, you know, covering everything, and then I find out that it's supposed to end at one, because a lot of stuff happened that wasn't supposed to, so we ended, but the people, that's, uh, unless I digress, squirrel, you know, Uh, (laughs) all that to say, it was a really good group yesterday, and, um, but what was cool is I was going around the table, I think it was like 14, and they were all introducing themselves, and telling their story of who they were, how they came to Creekside. And one of the gals, I hope I get this right, but it was something like this. And by the time they, these people were telling their story, I said, okay, you know Creekside. Because they were all telling stuff like I'm telling you today. It was amazing. So she says, you know what, I, how'd you get to Creekside? Well, you know, I was working with this gal. She's a waitress. And we were waitressing. And she, I was telling her about some of my struggles in my life. And so she says, well, you know what? You really need God. You need to give God a chance. And you need to get into church. And they're talking about, I don't know what the time frame was, but they're talking uh, over time about needing to do that. And for whatever reason, the gal didn't really say where she went to church. So the gal finally decides, okay, I'm going to go to church. So she goes to church. Guess who she runs into in the Creekside parking lot? This other gal. I mean, only God could orchestrate that kind of thing. You know what I mean? And then I got to baptize her and her husband just a few months ago. It's amazing. But it happened with what? Because this one person says, I'm going to be Jesus in this situation. I'm going to manualize. And then I'm going to, I'm going to share my life and my story. And then they're going to end up in church. Doesn't always happen. But what a joy when it does. See, we want to rejoice. We want to worship Jesus all the time. 
the one who came, he died on the cross for our sins. But we've got to make sure, loved ones, that we see him as alive and living through us. Because that's how people get to know him, through us. So often when the church thinks of Jesus and reaching people, the first thing they think of, or, and some of you might even think this way, and let me help you. We think we've got to confront people's sin. Now hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. That has to happen at some point. Because nobody moves forward if the sin in their life isn't confronted. But when you study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, that's not where he started. He usually started with where the people were and where their questions were. And he Emmanuelized. He was God with them. He stepped into their lives, into their neighborhood, this God wrapped in human flesh so that he could reach them. And I said this a number of times, but it's, it's revelatory for me. That some followed and some didn't. He could go into the worst places, the highest religious places, the highly intellectual places, the dregs of culture in his day. He could walk in, he could love people, share the gospel, and then he could leave. And say, I love you all. And some would follow and some wouldn't. Some would literally follow him and some would follow in, his, in their hearts, but some wouldn't. And Jesus didn't take it personal. He just said, okay, let's go. And that's how we have to be. When somebody doesn't change their lifestyle immediately or for years, we still get to love them. Just like Jesus. You know what that does? That takes so much pressure off of you and me. Now when I preach the gospel or I share on Sunday or whatever, you know, I used to, oh, who's going to come back? Who isn't, you know? And I have this reoccurring nightmare that someday nobody's going to come back. And, 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 and there's, a, there's a pressure on me for that, but it's a lot less than it used to be. Because now I realize I'm not God, he is, and, you know, he'll work with you. And not all everyone's going to like me, so that's all right, but, but I used to feel this pressure. And I want you to feel, not feel this pressure either. You just be you and take Jesus wherever you go, because that's where he's calling you. So let me get you thinking here before we get into the text. Jesus is the only, let's take this from the headlines, okay? Jesus is the only baker in town. He's a Christian baker. And Bob and Joe walk in, and they want a wedding cake. Does he make it? I don't know either. <laughs> but I do think about it. Steve and Sally, they're living together. They walk in, and they want a wedding cake. Does Jesus make it for him? Now, here's my question. That's Jesus. I don't know what Jesus is going to do. But isn't it interesting that in the headlines of our papers today, the people that become kind of famous is the ones that, okay, uh, uh, there's a, the homosexuals coming in, and I'm not going to make their wedding cake. And I'll tell you in, in here, because I know all of you, you're all thinking really now. You're, you're dialed in, you know. <laughs> Some of you are punching me. And some of you are going, come on, preach it, brother. Let them know. I'm going to leave you hanging. Because this is what I find so interesting, is that, that a, a baker will, and hear me, okay, listen, I, I know those signs, you know, that say we, re, we reserve the right to, re, you know, to refuse service to anybody. Okay, great, yeah, we're, we're Americans, we're independent, we can do whatever we want. But let me just remind you, we live by a higher standard. 
We don't live by the, and the Constitution is important, and I'm committed to that, and the Bill of Rights, and all of those things. But I also know I've got a higher calling. Okay? We do. So I understand rights, but I'm going to live by the rights of heaven, not by the rights of the Bill of Rights. Okay, now, again, squirrel. Let me get back over here. So why would, why would somebody get, you know, really praised or looked up to because they wouldn't do it for a homosexual couple, but they would do it for a couple living together? We never, they never asked that question. I don't know what Jesus would do. I'll tell you what I think. Whether he would do it or not isn't the bigger question, but I don't think he would do this. Oh, yeah, Adam and Steve... Oh, yeah, okay, no, I'm not going to do your cake. I don't think Jesus would stiff arm him right out of the chute. I think he'd sit down with him. And just like we're going to see in the text today, it would start with a conversation. Hey, guys, tell me about your life. Where are you from? Tell me about your family. What's brought you to this point? You hear what I'm saying, loved ones? See, we as Christians, and are you saying, PT, we shouldn't have convictions? Biblical convictions? Absolutely not. Hang around here. You know. I'm going to preach the Bible. I'm going to tell you. Convictions are critical, but it's how we live them out. Jesus never acquiesced to anybody. But he wasn't afraid of anybody either and their sin or their whatever. See, the problem is today, loved ones, is churches and people line up in two ways. They're condoning or they're condemning. But Jesus didn't do that very often. I think Jesus always had another option. But what if there was another option for you and I where maybe we would sit down with and we would eat with and we would relate to and just simply start a conversation. Because that's what we oftentimes saw Jesus doing. That's how he influenced people. And dare I say, loved ones, we are going to have much more influence, which is part of our Creekside vision, is to influence people in a community and into a world with the life-altering message of Jesus Christ. And you can't do that if you're stiff-arming everybody with your principle. But you can do it by inviting people in while you're still keeping your principles. People say, well, PT, aren't you worried about cheap grace? I don't know. I never set the price margin on what God did. He did. Paul said it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own that anyone should boast, for it is the free gift of God. In being free, it seems to me God made it fairly inexpensive for everybody. Now, I don't believe that we should ever cheapen grace. But I don't think we should make it more expensive for people than what God did. Now, hear me. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, I pray that you don't take them, who? His disciples, us. I pray you don't take them out of the world. This is what I do. I pray, I pray that you protect them from the evil one. 
Can I tell you that is Jesus' prayer for you and I today? <clears throat> He's never asked for us to be removed from the difficulties of life, the controversies, uh, the difficult situation, the dregs. He's never prayed, oh God, we've got to save our followers. No, he says, I want you in there. But while they're in there, I want them to influence. And I want you, God, Heavenly Father, to protect them while they're doing my work. See, that's a big difference, isn't it? Where God doesn't say, I'm not here to isolate them. I'm here to insulate them for my purposes and to use them wherever they are. See, that's how Jesus lived. Everywhere he went, he went into these situations. And he influenced people. They never influenced him. And as we get to the text today, this is almost a vision talk because this is, this, this, is, this is the talk that I would want everybody to hear if this was my last one. Lord, don't let it be. But, um, <laughs> but if, if, if you heard this today, I'd say, okay, well, they got what's most important to me because this is like probably 35 years of ministry distilled into one talk. And you, a lot of you have heard these themes. But this is who I want to be. This is who I want us to be. So John chapter 3, we're going to come to this deeply religious man. He's moral. He's together. He's religiously smart. He had a lot of religion. He's probably talked about a lot of brimstone. But something isn't right in his soul. There's a dryness and there's a lack of depth. And there's an emptiness to his soul where he says, i got to find out what this other thing is. i got to find out what's going on over here with this itinerant carpenter named Jesus. Because it ain't happening here in the gut. This religion, it ain't happening. So he goes to see this carpenter named Jesus who's talking about the kingdom of heaven that has come and it's here. But he wasn't connecting it to religion. He was connecting it to communing and living with the living God. So let's pick it up in John 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. So there was a man, he was from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So you got to remember, this guy was religious, but he was on the upper echelon. He would have had like alphabets after his name. I mean, it would have been Dr. M. Div, whatever. He was big. Well, this man came to Jesus at night. Notice that. He comes at night. I'll tell you why in a little bit. He comes at night. He says, hey, Rabbi, I know that you've come from God as a teacher doesn't recognize him as God. He just says, you come from God as a teacher. For no one could perform these signs you do unless you were with him, Jesus replied. I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I was just trying to compliment you, dude. Yeah, get born again. He probably wasn't quite that straight, but he knows who he's dealing with here. So verse 4, now Nicodemus starts asking some questions. But how can anyone be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked him. I mean, can he really enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Remember, this guy's pretty smart. So he's asking kind of some interesting questions, and Jesus answered, well, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. He says, you know, you come from your mama and your daddy, so that's the flesh. And whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. So don't be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. Dude, you've got to be figuring this out. You're a bright guy. And then Jesus, I'm sure he's there, they're outside probably somewhere because, like I say, Nicodemus is trying to go stealth. And, and, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking the wind blows. And in the, in the, in the 
Bible, a lot of times the, the, the wind is a picture of the Holy Spirit, representative of the Holy Spirit. So I could just see Jesus standing there, all of a sudden this wind comes in and kind of wafts around him. And Jesus says, the wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's a God thing. It's a mystery, but it happens. You can't see it, but you know when it's there. So Nicodemus is scratching his head. You know, how can these things be? Are you a teacher of Israel and you really don't even know these things, Jesus replied? I assure you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about the things that happen on earth and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you the things about happening in heaven? So he's saying, you're not going to believe anything I say here that I'm trying to teach you. If you don't believe that, listen, I can't even deal with the stuff in heaven. And he says, well, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven. And he's saying the son of man, which is moi. I'm he. Now he makes a little transition. And remember what we often say here at Creekside, it's true, that the Old Testament always points to the New Testament. Most of Jesus is seen in the Old Testament and points to him in the New Testament. So Jesus now takes Nicodemus, who would have known the law well, and he takes him to a familiar story to help kind of solidify and cement the point of what he's going to go and say. He says, don't you remember, verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness to the Son of Man, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. They'll move from life to eternal life. Now, what's that story? Okay, in, in Numbers 21, you can go read it later today or this week. The, 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 the God's people, the Israelites, they're, they're moving through the, the desert. Forty years, they're on the precipice, they're on the banks of moving into the promised land. And they've been doing this for 40 years. A whole generation has to die off. And they're, they're just ticked at God. He provides them with manna. He provides them with food. It comes from heaven. It's not the best stuff. It's kind of like a light, kind of like a light wafer bread. And so they get this, and they get tired of it. So they start complaining, rebelling, and screaming out against God, and blaming Moses. And so God says, okay, I'm tired of it. And this is a whole other talk I can't get into today because I know you're going to ask a lot of questions. But just stick with me and get through this. So God sends these serpents, called fiery serpents. And they're, they're poisonous vipers. So they start attacking the people. So what does it force the people to do? They start dying. Some of them, they get, the, 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 the bites would enrage them with, with, with a fever. Horrible way to die. You know, if you die from a snake bite, it's not comfortable. So all of a sudden, these people repent. And God is preparing them for the promised land today because this is what happens. This is people. If you're not happy today, you won't be happy tomorrow. If you're not happy where you are today, when the better comes tomorrow, you still won't be happy. So God's saying, you've got to learn to be content where you are before I give you the best. And so these people rebel. They send the snakes. And then Moses goes, God, we've got to do something. The Lord says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I want you to make this uh, fiery brass serpent. And I want you to put it on a pole. I want you to stick it in the camp so that when people see it, they can look at it. And that's how they're going to get healed. They get bit, look at the snake. It's on a pole raised up, and all people have to do is look at it. So Jesus reminds Nicodemus of this story, because what is he saying? He's saying, Nick, this is what I'm talking about, bro. Just like back in that day when those people by faith had to look at that snake to get healed from their bites, 
I'm going to be lifted up. And people are going to have to look to me in faith, believing that I'm the Messiah. And he says that whoever believes in him, me, will have eternal life. And then he goes to this Mount Everest scripture. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his son, his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We love to stop at 316, but we have to embrace 17. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. And that's why people don't respond to Jesus right there. They like evil. They like their deeds more than they want to consider the truth and reality of who Jesus Christ is. Now, it's interesting because that's kind of where Jesus stops in another verse or two. So, as you read this, what I want you to see is Nicodemus is this prominent religious man. He's stirred by what he saw in Jesus, what he saw Jesus do. He's stirred by what he heard Jesus say. The problem is, he's this religious guy who's choking on his robes, his titles, his rigid rules, and what his religion required of him. It was dry. It lacked any relational uh, part to it. And, and so he's wanting to protect his reputation. Notice it says that he went at night. That's why I like to refer to him as Nick at night. Okay? So we're talking about Nick at night here, the original Nick at night. And he goes and he stands before Jesus. Why? Because he wants to protect his reputation. Because at this time, all of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious dogs, they've already got their guns locked and loaded to take Jesus out. And he knew that if, he, if they found out that he was going to meet with this itinerant carpenter, he probably would have been excommunicated. So he goes at night. He goes stealth. And so he, he says, Jesus, you're a great teacher, you know, and, and he kind of butters him up and Jesus goes right for the juggler. He, he, he begins to chip away at his religious heart with truth, knowing you can't help a blind man by turning the lights up brighter. He knows you can't help a deaf man by making the volume louder. So he goes right to the purpose of speaking to his heart, and he says, listen, you've got to be born again. Because he knew that Nick, was li- Nick at night was living this religious life, believing that one had to work to reach God. One had to earn his way built on good deeds to gain God's favor. One had to go to church, had to give the synagogue, whatever it was, to prove that, boy, I'm a, I'm a God follower. He knew that Nick believed that it was all based on the outward, how a person looks, how a person carries themselves. But Jesus says, I'm not talking about religion here. I'm talking about a relationship. It's based on God's effort to reach man. One has to receive. I am that effort. I will be that payment he's trying to communicate to him. He says it's not based on good things that you do. It's based on because of grace you do good things. When you know you've experienced grace, guess what? You're going to change. You're going to do better. It's not based on the outward. It's based on the inward, the heart. And Jesus is nailing this. And I think we see here a couple of things. You know what? There's really three needs that people have. Four. We need truth. 
But along with truth, this is what people need. They need love. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we've passed from life to death because we love our brothers. He who does not love remains in death. The word here, when Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he's not talking about the cosmos. The, the, he's talking about the people in this world. And he says it's a volitional choice. That word is agape. And it means that you choose to love. You make a decision. You get up. I will love. It's not based on feeling or performance, but it's built on grace and truth that says I'm going to choose. Tim? I don't know you real well. You golf, so that makes you a pretty good guy. But I'm going to say before all these, I'm going to love, I love you. I love you too. Thank you. And here's the deal. I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to be committed to you for as long as I know you or you're around or we're in, I don't care what you do. Now, I don't think it will be, but it, that could be tested at some point. That doesn't mean I won't say, Tim, man, you're missing the mark here. I love you enough to speak into your wife. But no matter what you do, I'm going to love you. See, right now, I'm declaring to you, I'm making a choice. It's a volitional choice that I will love Tim no matter what. And that's what Jesus said God did. I made that choice. Now you get to live it out. That's what people need. Second thing, see, this is, we, sometimes we forget that this love piece is the litmus test. And then we got the extreme, well, you know, boundaries, we don't, you know, we're just going to love everybody no matter what. We're going to love them no matter what, but we're going we're gonna to challenge them in areas. But see, this is what Jesus did, and he's on the cross. Uh, in England of 1878, we saw just a wonderful demonstration of this when the second daughter of Queen Victoria, Princess Alice, her young son, had uh, contracted this a disease called black diphtheria, which was very, very contagious, and most people died from it back then. And once the boy was diagnosed, what they did was they quarantined him so mama couldn't go see him anymore, just talk to him. But the nurse would go in there, and uh, after being quarantined, we, the mama, Princess Alice, heard the little boy say to the nurse there, how come my mama doesn't come in and kiss me and hug me anymore? And... Um, that just uh, Princess Alice heard that and only melted her heart, but it melted away the quarantine. So she went in there a short time later after the nurse left and she started hugging and kissing her boy, telling him how much she loved him. And within just a short time, she was buried. She died. See, that's what Jesus did for us, loved ones. In the midst of all of our sin, he just comes and he embraces us and he really took on the kiss of death on the cross so that we could be forgiven and remove this disease called sin. And can I tell you something? Sometimes we got to do that for other people. we got to be willing to step into their lives and maybe just kiss them a little bit in some of the darkest, dirtiest areas. Second thing people need is acceptance. Acceptance is just simply accepting people where they are for Jesus' sake. Jesus always started where people were, not where they should be. <laughs> Aren't you glad for that? I am. You know, I know I'm still not where Jesus wants me to be. Uh, but this is what I also know. He took me where I was. And he says, I'm going to work with this little 
guy and I'm going to bring him to where I want him. And he's still doing that. And that's how we have to see people. See, sometimes the church wants people to be a certain way when they walk in those doors. That can't happen. We're going to have a, a fairly significant uh, celebration of life here on Tuesday. And uh, I know what that means. Probably going to be 400 people here, 450, and going to be packed. You know what that means? It means there's going to be people here smoking. Now, this doesn't bother me at all, but sometimes some Creeksiders have come up to me in the past and they'll say something like, oh, Pastor, can you believe it? See all those cigarette butts out there? They're just all over. Yeah? Well, it just doesn't look good. It doesn't look like a church. Oh, I think Jesus is probably applauding and saying, that's my kind of church. You know, we don't quarantine people for smoking. We don't say, here's your little section over here. And yeah, would it be nice if they picked them up? Yeah, but big deal. See, can we not be so sterilized and so sanitized that a few cigarette bucks are going to make it unchurchlike? We're just going to love people. I told first service, I says, you know what? If they invited me out there, I'd go out and smoke with them. Uh, And then I thought better. And I said, if I did, it'd probably kill me because of my bad asthma. Um, And I've really never enjoyed smoking. So other than that, but I'd go out there, be with them. You know what? You know what Jesus would do? That's what he would do, I think. We accept people where they are, not where we expect them or where we want them. Ephesians 1 says this, that we have been accepted in the beloved. And that was written back in 60 AD. Guess what? We were accepted before we ever did anything good and or bad. And Jesus says, you are accepted in the beloved, therefore accept others in the beloved. The third thing people need, uh, fourth thing besides truth is forgiveness. Remember Ephesians 4.32, we've talked about it now for four weeks. Uh, Be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving each other, even as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. It's another test. People need to know they're forgiven. So why did he come? Here's why he came, so that people would believe in him because he forgives, gives them of their sin. See, the word believes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that everyone, not some, not a few, not the good, not the bad, not the ugly, not the pretty, Everyone who believes will not perish but have everlasting life. To believe means to cling to, to adhere to. It's when a person with all their heart and their trust, they put it in the Lord. And when they enter into this relationship with him, they're going to seek after him. It's kind of like they're going to be Velcroed to him. See, the reason this message is so wonderful to me is because it's spoken to a perishing people, a perishing world, a perishing room, a perishing man. And the language is written in such a way when Jesus speaks it, he's saying that in this perishing, you are involved in the process. The reason people perish now and later is they do it to themselves. Because we don't walk with Jesus, we don't cling to him, we don't spend time with him, we don't embrace him, we begin to do self-destructive things. And then in the end, when we transition from this life to life, if we haven't adhered to him, and we experience the eternal destruction. And the reason people do that, as we read it earlier, it's because they love the dark more than life. light. I'm so thankful for his gift. So here's the paradox, though, of love and judgment. 
He says, I came to save, verse 17, not to condemn or to judge the world. Now, some of you are Bible thinkers or Bible scholars or you know the word well, and you're going, yeah, but you know, in six chapters, in John chapter 9, Jesus says, the judgment, for judgment I came into this world. And so you're thinking, well, P.T., how does, how does both of those work out? Well, hear me. Jesus came into this world not to come down on people, but to reach out to people. He didn't come to point a finger, but to extend a hand. So hear me. This is really important because judgment's going to happen ultimately. Just in case you don't, I believe in hell, okay? That's why the message is so important. People are going to go to hell if they don't respond to Jesus. But judgment isn't happening today. It's going to happen in the end. When Jesus says that in John 9, what he's saying is if people don't respond, they're already in judgment. But until they die, they can respond. But they're bringing that destruction and that judgment upon themselves. Jesus said, just by virtue of me being here, I'm not executing it while I'm here, but it will be executed long after I'm gone in the end. And we can never forget that, loved ones, because that can kind of keep this white-hot burn in the belly to reach the lost. But this is an important part to me because of this. I get so tired of these winged out Christian so-called leaders that go on TV and they say things like, it's the judgment of God. Really? Oh yeah, you know, Katrina. Had the hurricane come through there, it flooded. All that mass destruction. You know why, don't you? Because there was a group there. There was a group that was going to have a convention in there that next week. The guy came in and they judged him. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, my Bible says Jesus didn't come to condemn and to judge, but he came to save people. Oh, you know, Loma Prieta. <laughs> yeah, San Francisco paid a heavy toll there, didn't they? You know why, don't you? Yeah, God's judging them, right? Yeah, amen, brother. Preach that, brother. No. No. You know what Romans 8 says? It says that creation, it's like you and me, it is literally groaning, it's crying out for its redemption. That when the curse came in Genesis 3, the world was cursed. And that's why we have all these upheavals. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, if God's going to judge, he's going to start, he's going he's to, I'm going to go to Amsterdam. I'm going to go to Rio de Janeiro. Think of wherever they have wonderful debauchery or Florida for the, uh, what do you call those, summer or spring breaks. God, God is not capricious, and he doesn't just, well, then why doesn't he stop it? I don't know. Why didn't he stop a lot of things? Because, well, we're sinners, and we live in a sinful, fallen world. That's the bottom line. But God's MO, loved ones, is not to bring judgment. We're living in the dispensation of grace until Jesus comes back. Then judgment is going to let loose. But until then, someone you go on TV and some preacher gets on there and says, God's judging it, say, he's here to save people. And I want every person to know that because it will change the way you talk and think and respond to people. Because otherwise you'll be going, who's next? And that's sad because a lot of Christians think that way. So here's what's interesting as I close. In this story, Nick leaves Jesus in the dark. We don't even hear him saying goodbye. 
We don't hear Jesus saying goodbye. We don't hear Jesus go, Nick, Nick, come back. I want to disciple you. You're a smart guy. You need me. All of a sudden, Jesus is talking, and nothing, we don't know where he goes. And then probably two years later, John chapter 19, 16 chapters later, it says, in the light of day, I love that. See, the Bible is kind of specific. In the light of day, Joseph of, Joseph of Arimathea goes with Nick, and they take Jesus' body, and they prepare it for burial after it's come off the cross. Get it? This guy who is this stealth secret saint, in two years' time, something happens in his heart and his soul, and now he goes, I don't care who sees it. I'm going to go, I'm going to take Jesus' body, and I'm going to fix it, I'm going to get ready for burial. And I think there's a couple of key points there, is we don't have to press people to follow Jesus. We just got to be available. It might be a week, it might be a month, it might be two years, whatever it is, it might be 10 years, but we just are open for business and we share the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness of this loving God who doesn't come to judge now, but to save. And then those people, guess what? They'll begin to come around, come along. No, not all, not everybody. Pressure's off. It's a great reminder to be patient. Don't give up. Start conversations. Almost every conversion starts with a conversation. So here it is. A relationship with God, Nicodemus teaches us, is inward focused while religion is outward focused. Did you know that, sh- that a shrimp has a heart in their head. Great, thanks, huh? That's a real gem. That's a life changer. It's a game changer. I'm going to take that to the office tomorrow. I'm going to share that, and I'll bet somebody will come to Jesus. See what you learn at Creekside? Well, this is kind of important, though, because I say that to say this. Unless you're a shrimp, there can be a good distance between your heart and your head. And see, Nick had religion down. He knew this stuff. He had the head knowledge. But there was a big difference, a measurable difference, 18 inches between his head and his heart. And Jesus goes in and says, I'm going to take your heart. I'll use your knowledge, but I've got to have your heart. And see, loved ones, that's what we've got to do with people today. We can't go in there finger-pointing, head-bashing, Bible-thumping. We've got to go in, conversation, speak to their heart.